And that's what Chinese medicine is, is it's for everybody. And everyone should have access to this and everyone should be able to know how to really take care of themselves so that they are more confident, so that they can contribute more to society, have healthier babies growing up, have less illnesses and sicknesses, and create more generational health. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. It's the easiest thing in the world, and it's reliably the hardest thing in the world, that inhabiting the experience between time and space just outside the confines of time and yet close enough to feel the smooth friction of flow, that perceptive frame where the unfolding of the Tao and the observance of that unfolding are one and the same. No effort, no judgment, awareness unfettered from expectation and desire. When there is a seamless integration between observing and action. It's those moments of unbroken attention when you're in the experience and it's in you. You might find it in sport or music or writing, maybe playing with your kids. It can arise in the work of clinic when we leave behind our mental models and allow ourselves into a kind of flow such that we trust the treatment as it comes from an interaction, not from the imposition of an idea onto the patient. Much like the timelessness of an agenda-free conversation, our treatments can be rooted in the doing of protocol or arise from the ever-present fluidity of the moment. The question for me is one of how am I attending and what do I do when the pulse doesn't change or the coating on the tongue suddenly gets thicker, or the tissues fail to ease into suppleness. Flow is enjoyable in clinic when it seems to me that we're moving along with the stream, when that sense of ease and connection arises like a well-crafted poem. But this is not always the case. There are the times the body says, I don't like this. The face flushes, or it goes pale. The pulse tightens, or maybe it fades away. The patient suddenly loses a notable degree of range of motion, or they get chatty instead of falling into that curious quietude that allows latent resources to come forth and add their influence. Much like any true scientist is as happy to have a hypothesis disproven as proven, can you stand in a state of flow that allows for taking in when your treatment is less than helpful? How are you with the information that gives you a bigger picture even when you don't completely understand it? And how is it for you when you recognize that you were mistaken? I'm curious, what's your process for taking in new information and starting again with your assessment and your treatment? Ease does not always mean getting it right. Ease can also arise from dropping resistance to what's unfolding in the moment, much like in meditation. We note it, perhaps glimpse the source or at least some of the confounding entanglements, and then continue. Ease in the moments of difficulty. Now, that's a practice worth cultivating. These geological conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Need to fill up the appointments created by late cancellations? Jane can help with that problem. 
Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, listen for a special offer from Andrew Sturman on Diet as Medicine and the folks at Blue Poppy share some thoughts on the safety of herbal medicine. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies, and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin health formulas this month too. Just visit meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust Meiwei for your health and wellness needs. And as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. Change is never easy. This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change versus the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales. The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. Ride the wave of spring yang chi and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April with pride knowing that you're helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast share about Jane, my favorite all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens, and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. You can take advantage of automated SMS text or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up an available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, you can mention the show or use the code CHEOLOGICAL for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit jane.app to get started today. These days, most of us enter the stream of medicine through some institution that grants us a diploma that in turn gives us the opportunity to get a license. It's then that we really begin our study of medicine. Today's guest, Dr. Yu, learned his medicine from his grandmother. And along with his student, Anthony DeSalvo, 
we discuss how Twainai is a long-term solution that requires persistent application, along with his perspectives on acupuncture and some thoughts on thinking about treatment. Let's have a listen. Anthony DeSalvo and Yu Jia Dai, welcome to Geological. Delighted to have you guys here today. Thank you for having us, Michael. This is uh, Jia. I think Jonathan Bluestein introduced us. And one of the things that's really interesting about what you guys are doing is, Anthony, you're learning Chinese medicine. In fact, you recently graduated and you've been at this for a while. And, and doctor, you have learned your medicine from your family. It's a family tradition that's been passed down through the generations. And I'm curious to know what it's like to grow up in a family of doctors. In my family? Yes. In my family, just gen- genetic by genetic, but in China, the, the men, we can be the doctor, the woman never. Right? Women weren't allowed to be doctors. Yes, but I can remember some friends of mine who studied in China, and they had some teachers, but actually, for some reason, there were a few daughters that had been taught, so sometimes the medicine also comes down through the women. That's right, and so in this case, Master Yu's grandmother is the one who actually taught him. His father and mother did not practice. Only my grandmother teaching me. My grandmother never graduated any school. He don't know anything, but uh, he just watched my assistant practice the Chinese medicine. That's why my grandmother understand the, the lot. He just teaching me. So if you can imagine that for a moment, that's an amazing woman who memorized everything. So no reading, no writing, right? She learned that from her older generation and then the community around her for the family style that was in his town. And she's the one who taught him dominantly. And this was after working, where she was working in the sewing mill, right? Yes. And so as a result of the sewing mill techniques, day after day, he attributes her to being the most skilled acupuncture technique he's ever seen with the needle. So let me see if I have this right. Your grandmother, Dr. Yu, was an acupuncturist, a Chinese medicine doctor, but she also had a regular factory job as well. No. No. No, she was never formally trained. There was no schooling. There was none of that. So she got it from the family. So what I'm saying is she had two jobs. One is that she was being a doctor. The other is that she also worked in a factory. No. No. Never work. Only work in the home. Oh, I'm sorry. I heard something about sewing. Sewing is working in the home too. Just home work. That's it. Okay. Yeah, past the 100 years old, 100 years, in China, women no job. Women cannot go out doing the some job work. So that raises a question for me, which is how is it that people would come to see her? Just neighbor, neighbor and a family member. The history of her family goes back to the 1400s. Their medicine is what brought like longevity and prosperity to that region of Shandong, Muping County. Yes. So this is a medicine that has been passed down from family member to family member. And at this point, Anthony, 
you're in the process of learning this as well. Yeah, that's right. Six years apprenticing with Master Yu, and I graduated school 2019, got my license, opened our second location, yes, the is. clinic. He uh, kind of like you learn from your parents and then they say, okay, go, go on. <laughs> <laughs> you can handle these things. And yeah, opened up the clinic and pandemic hit, which was an interesting thing. So, but thanks to Master Yu, had a infectious disease 101 with him as a result because of all of his expertise and clinical training. But the training that I had with Master Yu was very old school, right? Starting from the beginning. So I was taught Tui Na, Chinese traumatology first. And as he told me, it was the most important thing back in the past as well. I was taught emergency protocols first because he said, what do you do when you're training, you're learning and you come across someone, you have no needles, no skills, no herbs. What do you do? And he said, you use your hands. So he taught me like, Treating anaphylactic shock, heart attack, ear infections, seizures, mm. reviving from coma, drowning, these types of things. You know, and then obviously sports injuries, twisting ankle and, and wrists and shoulder pain. And so this was my initial training. And he said, yeah, I'm not going to give you any herbs or acupuncture. <laughs> you have to learn this first. That's really interesting. Many years ago, when I lived in Seattle, I was a young man, my early 20s. A lot of my friends were going to see this acupuncturist in one part of town. He'd usually put needles in their ear and he'd give them some herbs. And I went as well. And I was so angry and frustrated when I left that place because he gave me no herbs. He gave me no needles. He gave me two acupuncture points to massage. He said, you go massage those. Get out of here. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. It's funny. I haven't thought about that for a long time because... I was so mad about not getting needles. I didn't massage those points. And it's funny, I haven't thought about this for a long time. Maybe I should go back to trying that. It's very effective. I mean, the reason why or how I met Master Yu was because of a Kung Fu brother of his in New York I trained with, uh, Master Wang Ring Gong, for seven years, Hang uh, Mantis, Plum Blossom Fist, Xin Yi, and then Dachin Xuan, the Qigong. And they studied under the same master, uh, Wang Hangzhai, right? In China, who was a Xin Yi master and then created Da Chen Chuan. And, you know, Master Yu says that's the reason why I was good, I guess he said, good, good candidate. <laughs> yeah, good results treatment. And it was actually very important for the results of the needling treatments and Tui Na. Yes, because you understand. Yeah, I saw that change while my training increased, the effects on my patients. And because of that training, he asked if I wanted to learn because I was already interested in Chinese medicine because of my Kung Fu brothers. But I was a sick kid, you know, so I was always like getting respiratory allergies and digestive problems. And, and I said, you know, Master Yu, I can't become an acupuncturist, you know, TCM physician. I'm always sick. He's like, yeah, you can't. You got to fix yourself. I said, what are you talking about? He said, yeah, just like your story. Touch all of these points every day, many times a day. And in about a year, you'll be better. And I took his word because I'd seen a lot already and I, I could recognize the truth. And plus I saw his Kung Fu students who had recovered from some serious stuff, some uh, organ transplant patient who were his Kung Fu students. We had others with other serious issues and they were getting along really well because of what he was helping them with. In this time where we've had COVID, especially in this time where people are working remotely, 
I mean, we're in person much more now, but there's still a lot of remote medicine, things like self-massage, acupressure. I mean, for me personally, I have found that acupressure hasn't been that helpful. I mean, like me teaching my patients acupressure hasn't been that helpful. So I am curious to know a couple of things. First, how you can teach people to use self-toyna or self-acupressure so that it's effective. And secondly, I would like to know what it was that you used, Anthony, in terms of points and protocol to change your state of health. Okay, let me give you an example. If we immigration to the Mars, okay, what kind of medicine we bring to the Mars first? Oh, if we're going to colonize Mars, he's bringing up this topic. <laughs> How do you sustain life on Mars? We have technology to protect our bodies out there. We have modern medicine, but there is a conundrum still that when we leave Earth, right, our immune system shuts down. So they have all these protocols in place to try to keep and sustain that. And that is why he brings it up, because it's a fundamental mechanism behind Tui Na that can hold a possible solution to that. So I'll let him continue. Yeah, if we immigration to the Mars, everybody should be learning the medicine. What kind of medicine use? Only Chinese Tui Na first. If you cannot fix it by yourself, the problem is you maybe you died. This is why it's important learning the Twina first. Right. So what's an interesting component that, as you mentioned, you sometimes it's not as effective. The Twina acupressure and you share with your patients. Well, we have to go back to the fundamental kind of theory, your unifying theory that is in the you family. It, which is at core is a yin and yang theory. Yeah, yin and yang theory. And it encompasses all of the traditional Chinese medicine components. What I find fascinating about this the most is we have all the traditional points, but then there is an entire microsystem still of with the Yu family. So we actually can't say never, 99% of the cases that we see, we never touch the area of injury ever because it's not necessary. We do have local points if it's necessary, but it typically isn't because the resolution comes about faster when it's at a distal location. And that applies to the Twina. So it's different from the Twina that's typically taught. So you have shoulder pain. We're doing things on the head, the hands, and the legs, but we still stimulate certain channels. And that was incorporated into my healing because I had to strengthen my lung, my spleen, my liver and kidney and improve my digestive system on top of it. And so that was incorporated into daily practice. Can you tell us, Anthony, what that practice looked like for you? Daily massage. That's it on all the various points. And the more often I did it, the more effective it was. And so it's just like mathematics. You just keep adding up and you get a greater sum. And that's the concept. You can't hurt yourself with these techniques. You can only improve. And because you're consistently stimulating these points that relate to the organs that correspond to your brain, blood, and chi to them. Now, obviously, 
this is happening automatically in the body. You get blood circulation everywhere, and, and there's lots of physiological processes that happen that we all understand in biomedicine. This enhances it. This directs these resources that your body has towards the areas that are deficient. And so this, and the body has it obviously a, a miracle way of helping itself that we still don't fully understand, but this leverages that. Right, of course. In a very simple way. It's not complicated. It just takes due diligence. And so I would be massaging myself in school while I was in lecture. I'd turn over a chair and massage points on my feet. And then I would switch up and do my arms and then my hands and then my ear. So, Anthony, are there particular points that you use to help heal yourself? Were there particular channels? Was there a particular directionality, so to speak? that you were working with or were you just more like working the lung channel in general or working the spleen channel in general? It's a good question. It wasn't in general. Everything was specific to what was going on. So yeah, there was massaging across the palm because you needed to stimulate SI3, right? Hoshi. But we understand Hoshi is only really targeted at just a very kind of not superficial area on the side of your palm, but it actually transverses the entirety of the top third of your palm to that's how it influences the dew channel, the governing vessel, but from the sacrum to the cervical spine. Right? It's not just a small component. So that's the deeper understanding that is in the you family. And so that's like one simple example. And then, yeah, you're, you are like I was stimulating some of the lung channels, but everything was actually distal. So that's the concept to sort of wrap your head around is it was all distal points on each of the channels. So usually elbows down to the fingers and then knees down to the feet. And then, of course, the scalp. There's a whole system of scalp points that is separate than the modern scalp acupuncture that's understood where we treat the entire body from the scalp. So we actually incorporate and teach patients to do head gua sha for very particular reasons. So this is not an uncommon idea in Chinese medicine that we work distally. And, you know, when you look at the acupuncture points, we look at the elbows down, we look at the knees down. Those are often called the antique or the transport points. There are many traditions. I've been studying the Sa'am method here for the past few years. Those are basically the only points that are used. Knees down, elbows down. There's a lot of five element thinking that we use those particular points. There's the Tan system, the, the Dong system. You know, this is part of the idea of, of Chinese medicine, acupuncture in particular, that when you go distal to a place, you actually get a lot of leverage on the situation. I'm curious to know that with the system uh, that Dr. Yu has learned, from his grandmother and, and from his family, how is your ways of thinking about using distal points similar or different from the way that we're usually thinking about using distal points? We always use a, a long distance point, but we also use local point. In the United States, a lot of medical lawsuit, there's a way I not much use local point. Well, that's an interesting concept, right? As a practitioner, you end up limiting your liability because you're not having risk of organ puncture, 
right? You're not risk of puncturing the lungs or another vital organ or doing abdomen points on a pregnant woman. Obviously, that's already contraindicated, but there's different styles, right? Where it's all local. Or if you have someone, we're not doing gua sha on someone's shoulder for a shoulder injury because that can further cause more damage or cupping over an injury because that can further potentially cause damage. It doesn't always, but we eliminate that entirely. Hello, everyone. Andrew Sturman here. I've been working with clients in Chinese medicine dietary therapy for over two decades in New York City. My focus is beautiful, simple, delicious, and health-supportive home cooking. Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas so that each meal is infused with medical intention from appetizer to dessert. This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits, and more, and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food, where you can learn this theory, practice it in your own kitchen, and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who've brought this material into their own kitchens. Welcoming Food Books 1 and 2 can easily be found online, and if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, where I'll be posting cooking tutorials, you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much. Okay, hang on just one second here, because you just blew my mind with something. Gua sha not on the area that's affected. As I've learned gua sha, generally it's on the affected area, because you're looking to bring in some blood, you're looking to bring in some chi, you're looking for some fluid exchange. And so to think about distal gua sha, not on the area that has the problem, I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around that. Can you help me to understand that better? Okay, let me give you an example. If you have Bill palsy, yesterday you have Bill palsy. Okay, what do you do? If you use gua sha on the local area, make it worse. Okay. Actually, I hadn't thought of using gua sha on Bell's palsy. I usually use needles, but in your experience, you find it makes it worse. So where would you use the gua sha? Because that's something done in China. Perhaps we should use another example. No, this is a great one. Let's stick with this for a moment. <laughs> we we'll stick with it? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of us see Bell's palsy. It's a very common ailment that people come to acupuncture with. And many of us have learned to treat it by a few distal points and a bunch of points in the face. That's often how it's treated. So gua sha distally for Bell's palsy. Yeah, dominantly distally. So we don't really touch the face unless it's necessary, like to put an ointment on there to help stimulate a little bit. But because, as Master Yu explained, you have to reverse the energy in the body. Because if you just stimulate the local point, and this applies to all of like the local versus distal. When you stimulate the local point of trauma, the brain has to interpret now two signals, the needle and then the trauma. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things with Bell's palsy, you have to then divide it first, right? Is in an exterior reason, right? Exterior wind, wind cold attack for Bell's palsy, or is it an interior deficiency reason? So you're looking for excess and deficiency first. Correct. That has to be done first. Mm -hmm. 
And whether someone comes in after having Bell's palsy for a couple of months or not, you still need to differentiate that. Whether it happened first or not, you still need to differentiate. Was it exterior or did they wake up and it was because of slow interior deficiency finally showed itself? And then you have to treat distally. Well, you don't have to, right? You, the methods we use is treating distally to change the body's energy. And also, if it's an exterior attack, Bell's palsy should treatment should resolve after one or two times every time that would make sense for an exterior attack interior issues take a little bit more time would you like to explain mr Yu? yes for emergencies just happening the one week or 10 day you cannot put a needle on the face mostly if you put it on the face make it more swollen if long distance more work my family style different another acupuncturist. Mostly the acupuncturist put the needle on the face, but we don't do this way. What happens to the chi when you do the needling in the face? Why do we not do it? What is your Because make a swelling the second time damage. Yeah, make more swollen. So basically that concept is of creating local swelling and local damage, so to speak, even though these are like fine needles, right? And they're not inserted deeply, it still triggers something and that retains the pathogenic factor in that area of the face. It doesn't clear it. So you could think of that adding an excess to an excess. Yeah, that's possible. Good explanation. Okay. I just want to stick with the Bell's palsy for a moment because, again, it's something that's really common. And you've touched on something that is very near and dear to my heart, which is first asking the question, is it deficient or is it excess? I have found in my clinical experience that when I'm confused about a patient or I've done a treatment and it hasn't worked well, I need to go back to the very beginning. And the first questions that I always ask myself, am I looking at excess or am I looking at deficiency? It's a very helpful way of being able to orient, understand what's going on with the patient. So with this in mind, when we're looking at Bell's palsy, what looks like an excess presentation of Bell's palsy? What looks like a deficient presentation of Bell's palsy? Yeah, that's very straightforward. And obviously, you can't see anything on the outside. So nothing on the face will tell you at all, right? The drooping of the face, right? None of that. It's all on the tongue and pulse. You need to be really solid on all of that in terms of understanding what you're seeing. The swelling of the tongue, the coating of the tongue, and then the depths of the pulse as well. So, again, with that in mind... You're looking at the tongue, you're looking at the pulse, a sinking, thready pulse, and maybe a tongue that is puffy and flabby. Would you consider that to be deficient or excess or some kind of mixed pattern? Yeah, that would be mostly deficient. But again, as everyone's unique, you could have a mixed pattern of they were already deficient and then they got an exterior attack. There are still signs on the tongue that will show that. And the other interesting thing is, even if you're wrong, for example, with these methods, there is a lot of information that's given to you while you're treating. So you're treating, say, an exterior reason, and it's not working. You're like, wait a minute, what's going on? It should have shifted because of what you've done so much. You know what these points do. You know how effective they are. 
So through deductive reasoning, you're like, okay, and the tongue changes all of a sudden. That's another thing to talk about. The tongue is changing or not changing during your treatment. It should always change because that means you're doing correct. Your treatment is correct. If it's not changing, something's not right. But when it doesn't change, you're going, okay, you reassess. Okay, now I need to work on tonifying deficiency and then probably herbal medicine on top of it. But if it is, say you incorrectly say, oh, it must be deficiency because of a comorbid issue, right? Two issues at once. But then it clears all of a sudden. The patient's like, I can smile. I can blink. My, I'm stopped drooling on the treatment table. This happens very quickly. It's not something to wait around for. And so then you're doing it right. Because of the complexity of the human body, you know, you have this. And Master, you always explains to me, you know, through my clinical training, he's like, you got to be able to peel back the layers. And the sooner you can peel back these layers in the body of issues, the sooner you can get to resolving things like deep stuff. So that touches on the other topic of with the methods that he has and he's taught me, we're treating both branch and root at the same time very effectively. When our technique is changing, we take a picture from the patient tongue first. After we mark which area after the acupuncture is changing, this tongue changing, your problem is changing. He's speaking about, we, we use the unified practice, so it's leveraged technology. We take a tongue picture before and after, sometimes during, and we show the patient. And we can talk to them, be like, look, this is what's changing. This is why you're feeling this way. Some people no trust acupuncture. Some people talk to me, okay, before I treat uh, five acupuncture treatment for me. Why? You are different. You're not a professional. Okay. After I show the patient the picture, patient say, oh, it's changing. It's real changing. Okay. Results show up on the tongue just one hour after treatment. Yeah, this is great. So I just want to summarize here for a moment that there's nothing magic about the work that we do. We are looking at yin and yang. We're looking at excess and deficiency. We are using all the skills that we've learned in our schooling to understand this individual patient. Where are they excess? Where are they deficient? Where do they need some help? Where does the chi need to move? We bring all of those skills. And what I hear you guys saying Distal is more powerful. Don't add insult to injury, especially if there is injury, and expect results quickly. You should see changes on the tongue within the treatment. Now, that's a little bit mind-blowing. I remember when I was in school, they would often talk about how it might take weeks for the tongue to change, and yet I did have other teachers in school who would show us the tongue begin to change quite quickly. And I've also found in my own clinical practice that tongue coatings can change dramatically in just a couple of minutes. I mean, it's like staggeringly bizarre to see a tongue coating change by about half in 10 minutes. Imagine if you see blood stasis dissipate on the tongue, that dark purple stuff. That's even cooler to see. <laughs> So in addition to using the tongue as a marker for things getting better or maybe things getting worse, and so you need to change what you're doing, what else are you looking at? Do you look at the pulse? 
Do you look at the complexion? How else do you gauge the success or the error of your treatment as you're in the process of treatment? The pulse-only doctor know. The patient cannot see. Can, patient cannot feel it. Another case is diabetes. The people have diabetes, the blood sugar, the glucose go up. You have meter. You can check 300, 200. After treatment, the point is dropped down in the five minutes. We can see this. I believe Master Yu is bringing up subjective and objective measurements. So, like, yes, pulse is objective for us as clinicians, but a patient has no comprehension. So then there's other objective measures that verify what the effectiveness of the treatment. As you said, diabetes, blood sugar changes. We have, you know, you have your inline meter. So it's measuring in real time the blood sugar reducing through the treatment. And then you also have obviously other measurements, the tongue changing. So you're showing the patient, well, the other obvious one is their pain has stopped. Of course. Or their cl mental clarity has just improved or they're energetic again or they all sorts of reasons, but that, yeah, it's what the patient can also feel themselves, which is still subjective, right? But then they're still objective. Well, and it's the patient's experience. So their subjective experience of themselves is actually very, very important. It's very valid. So I'm hearing a couple of things. One is you've got your own measures as a doctor to see how the treatment's going, but there's also a focus that you use of making sure that the patient is able to see and comprehend and experience changes that are happening for them right in the process of treatment or very shortly thereafter. Yes. After show patient the tongue picture changing, patient have confidence. Yeah, that's a good one to mention is developing rapport with your patient, and especially if they're new to Chinese medicine, right? You know, we're usually the last line on the treatment list that everyone's been to see everyone else and specialists and they say, okay, I'll give acupuncture a try. And we have to show up a lot, right? And this helps them in trusting the experience because it does touch on another point. Wherever the mind goes, she will follow. And if the mind is reluctant and tight, the treatment of acupuncture is actually less efficient. That's a whole nother topic altogether to discuss. But it doesn't occur in herbal medicine because the mind doesn't have a role in that because the body's biology does. So they have no influence over that. Not entirely. If you have IBS, that's a different thing because that affects the digestion. But in the majority of cases, it's you have someone who's resistant to acupuncture treatments, you know, very tense in a very unique way, rejecting needles and everything. We see that very rarely, but it does happen. And so having that confidence, having that comfort with you, and then building that trust is, is very important for the healing process. I have had patients at times, I should preface this, I live in, in the Midwest. And so a lot of people here, yeah, they're rightly skeptical about Chinese medicine. They're, of course, they're skeptical about acupuncture. They didn't grow up with it. They should be skeptical. I'm fine with my patients being skeptical. In fact, I like it when my patients are skeptical because they're actually bringing their true self into the experience. And I think that that's an element that helps healing is when you bring yourself to an experience. 
Um, the other thing I like about practicing here in the Midwest is people are very, very practical. And so if something works, even if they don't understand it, even if it seems weird, they will keep using it because it, we're very practical in the Midwest. So that being said, I have had patients get off of my table sometimes. Maybe they had shoulder pain. They get off, they check their shoulder, and, and in a very astonished way say, is it possible that my shoulder pain could be gone? It's hard for them to believe that it could change so quickly. And there's this part of them that thinks they've been tricked somehow or that I've like tricked their mind because it changes so quickly. Do you guys have that experience as well? People, they don't know how to make sense of it. How do you help patients with that? I teach my students teaching Anthony first. Okay, we see the patient first. I talk to Anthony, this patient, one needle work right away, one time fix it. Always I talk to the Anthony, this patient during the treatment time was process. Talk to the first. Yes. So because of his proficiency and experience, MassTU is able to identify right away what will immediately work, what won't. Like what may take more time because of internal deficiencies, you know, because it comes around with the, the clinical protocols that he has for most exterior conditions are eliminated in one treatment for the majority. Obviously, nothing's absolute. So he knows a couple of needles and it's better. So basically, along those lines that you were talking about, he would explain you know, what he would be doing beforehand to me and then I'd see it, which is always mind-blowing. And then after a while, you start doing it yourself and you're also equally amazed. And it's quite rewarding to be able to do that with the patient. But yeah, the patient's also in disbelief. And they question, they're like, is it really gone? I've been dealing with this for 20 years, or I've been to every orthopedic surgeon and specialist, and here, what did you do? Obviously, this is limited. It's not everything. So please don't take us the wrong way. Nothing is perfect, right? Strength and weaknesses for all medicine, lots of conditions, lots of different reasons why something may or may not work the first time. But it's an interesting thing to watch, to see what the body is really capable of when it's leveraged, the medicine is leveraged in this way. It's used. I think this is one of the reasons acupuncture gets this reputation as being kind of like magic. Because sometimes if you have the right amount of skill and the right amount of experience, and the patient has enough internal chi and strength, then changes can happen quite quickly. Not always, but often enough. And so sometimes we get this reputation as being able to work miracles, which actually can be a bit of a problem because then people expect you to work miracles every time. Yeah, we deal with that. And so it takes a lot of open communication and honesty because everyone's unique. Their problem is unique to them. And how they present is unique. It, it's not textbook. It's very rarely textbook. So it's a beautiful component of this medicine, of how we're able to really help someone for who they are and how their problem is affecting them and uniquely them. I love that about this. And I love the methods that Master Yu's family has developed and leveraged all of these things of Chinese medicine from the Qigong, the Tui Na, the acupuncture, the herbs, all of this and the meditation even, you know, and then he's also an I Ching master. So he's taught me palm reading for medicine, not like divination stuff, right? But seeing how their health is, 
how it can go if they have a very serious illness. What is the I Ching telling us about how well they will deal with this okay. serious illness? That's a whole nother topic altogether. And I have n- very little understanding about that. But it's interesting because it touches on what you asked earlier of observations, right? When someone walks into the clinic, Master Yu knows tremendous amount just from watching the person because of their face. We have the classic stuff we learned in the book of like the different regions of the face and the organs, but then there is a whole nother component beyond that of like how much distance between the bottom of your lip to your chin, how large is your forehead, how wide is the face narrow, even more nuances than that. And he's seen tens of thousands of people. So it's just it's based off of empirical observation, facts stacked upon fact, repeated over and over again and validated when you see these patients. It's quite you, like it seems magical, but it's just simple. Simple observation. So you use an element of face reading in the work that you do. Yes. And this is also the first time that I've heard the I Jing being used with the palm in a diagnostic fashion. Is it possible to tell us a little bit more about that? The Yi Jing, we put uh, this difficult to explain. We use the hands, we read the hands. Mostly we know the problem is past the time, not after. First, we know after what's happening. So looking at the palm would show you influences that came with you prior to your birth. Is that correct? Yes. Also, we the tongue, we know what's going on for the future. For the future? Not entirely like past lives, but your life since your birth. Your life, but illnesses in the past, the damages in the past. And then I guess you could say the odds of your ability to recover from your illness. What are your chances based on your constitutional and health and also organ system health based off of the tongue and then other lines that are on the palm, you know, where uh, the way they go and then the intersections in them. You have your lifeline that's quite common, but it's a little bit different in the I Ching. And then you have kidney health that can be read on the palm, how well your fertility will be and a few other things, which is interesting. And he made me photocopy my hand uh, through my training. So I have records of this and I will be documenting. He says, look, see this break in your line. This is your age area. This is, you're going to have an event here in your health. And I say, well, okay, well, what can I do about that? He says, if you keep helping yourself with the tween on your training, you can change this. And I have seen the line on my palm change and I have record of it. And it's fascinating. I just won't know until in the next decade or so how it really will unfold. But again, that's just a fascinating understanding of being in control of a good part of your destiny, of going back to that thing about him talking about sustaining life on Mars. How can you keep and maintain the health and function of your body and improve upon it? And it's not about living forever. Absolutely not. It's about living with the quality of life. Because my life is completely different than it was before. You know, I don't have my cat allergies anymore, my incense and mother nature allergies to dust. I have good digestive habits now and I can, don't have my dairy allergy or gluten sensitivity. That was tui na in some acupuncture. 
but mostly the Tui Na. And that really was the history of his family. That's what really kept them surviving because they taught it to everyone in their, their region, in Shandong and Muping. And everyone learned it to sustain life because there wasn't a hospital back then. There wasn't a CVS pharmacy you can go and get, run and get stuff. You needed to you know, help someone vomit up something. You did certain Tui Na. You needed to help stop some horrible diarrhea or whatnot. You did the Tui Na and you had your herbs. Um, you needed to clear a fever. You used the Tui Na or you did some bleeding on the ear or what other points. You didn't have much tools back then like we have stainless steel needles in manufacturing you broke a porcelain cup and you use that to cut something in order to save someone's life and as a result of learning all of this because this has all been passed down orally we're, i'm doing my best i have a lot of responsibility to record this and we want to teach this this is not something to be kept this is something to be shared and that's what chinese medicine is is it's for everybody and everyone should have access to this and everyone should be able to know how to really take care of themselves so that they are more confident, so that they can contribute more to society, have healthier babies growing up, have less illnesses and sicknesses, and create more generational health. And that's what was shown in his family's story, which we didn't get to get into now. But because of that, I have a lot of pediatric training from Mr. Yu. And I teach online courses to help parents with their children's illness from colicky baby issues, all with Tui Na. Pink eye infections, clearing fevers, colds and flus, which you know pretty common for Tui Na, but ear infections, all sorts of things. Slowly building you know, a library because I want people to have access to this and I want it also accessible. Chinese medicine isn't something just for people who can afford it. It's for everybody. Everyone should have access to this in some way, shape or form. Two basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine, even as they are feeling more positive about acupuncture. They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations. All of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler to maximize potency and efficiency. Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP-certified facilities, and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective herbal formulas. Their years of experience provide you with the best possible herbs so your patients have the best possible outcomes. With free shipping and free dropship service on orders over $50, Blue Poppy should be your favorite place to shop for herbs. Use the code CHI2024 to receive 10% off Blue Poppy products on your next order. There's a couple things that you say. First of all, that term generational health. I heard you use that term, generational health. That just rings through me that we're not just here to help ourselves. We're here to help our families. We're here to help our communities. When I hear you talking about this and using Twena and using the methods of teaching people to take care of themselves, I'm thinking, oh, well, there's a public health program for you that would be very, very helpful. 
it's like right up there with clean water and good food. Yes. For example, Lower Back Pay, we use $100 billion spend one year okay, in the United States. We can use the Twina, Twina massage, fix them by yourself. Mostly 80%, 90% the lower back pain, the patient can fix them by yourself. We can public teaching. And again, remember, this is not touching your back at all. None of it is. And obviously, he's explaining certain back pain. This is preventative and treatment at the same time. So yeah, you have degenerative disc issues, you have stenosis. These are more complicated. This is further down the line. The lines, it can still manage that pain, but this is about preventing all of the majority of this from being so aggressively onset, right? So quickly happening. It starts off from all of the commuting that we do, the, the posture of, of in our desks and whatnot. And so that it really helps because again, this is leveraging circulation control in your body, so to speak. It's asking push points like kidney one on the bottom of the foot that's going to the lumbar sacrum area of your spine dominantly, not the entire spine. And so that is asking your body to send that blood to there. And the blood carries everything, right? All of those proteins, all of those enzymes, all of those anti-inflammatory markers, everything, right? And then it's also engaging lymphatic drainage and whatnot and tissue swelling reduction. And where does the bone and the discs and the ligaments, where do they get their blood supply from the collateral areas, the veins and arteries around them, surrounding them? And if there's insufficient circulation to these areas, then that's when they degenerate. That's when they lose their chi, you know, and that's when they slip the disc or that's when the narrowing of the spine canal occurs or you have pinched nerves. Obviously, that's slow changes, but then there's also the trauma changes, sports injuries and accidents and whatnot. It still helps. It's still something that is so complementary to Western methods that it just enhances patient outcomes. It reduces the recovery time. It reduces the swelling and the inflammation. And we see lots of studies on this, but this is taking it to a next level because you're not just going to acupuncture two times a week or three times a week if you can afford it or if your insurance covers it. You get to actively participate in your recovery process every single day as often as you want when you do tween on acupressure because you can do it every half hour, every hour. You can do it for a full hour and still benefit. The body isn't going to hurt itself. It just activates its own processes. Now, if you're really deficient, you need some extra nourishment in order for that to be more enhanced, right? Otherwise, it's just going to kind of be temporary and then it'll come back. And, and so you still have to work with a practitioner to understand that. But it really opens up so much potential for recovery, balancing health, also building self-confidence, being a happier person you know, because you're less depressed because you're not as injured anymore. You're not as incapable of things and your injury isn't defining you anymore. Your illness isn't defining you. Yes. And there is also that aspect of doing something of benefit on your own behalf. Yeah, indeed. You know, we have this idea in Chinese medicine of Yangsheng that nourishing life, taking care of ourselves, taking care of the people around us. And yes, we are so lucky in this day and time to have these needles that we can buy, single-use, disposable, you know, great high quality. But what if you're in a place where you don't have needles? 
Yes, if you move to the Mars. If you're going to Mars with Elon Musk, you and Elon headed to Mars. Yes. <laughs> what, what happens if he has a sudden heart attack or he has some issue and injury and you can't get access to the medical kit? What do you do? That's a great question. Let's hear that. I have a question for the Elon Musk. If you have the prostate problem, you move to the Mars. What do you do? Yeah, enlarged prostate. What would you do to treat that when you're on Mars? Elon Musk. Oh, Elon Musk for this question. Right. Elon Musk. How would you treat an enlarged prostate? And then the doctors that you're training with, <laughs> we you can't have surgery if you're on that base station on, on the surface of the planet because maybe the surgeon's up in the space capsule rotating around in space. What do you do? You do tween off and you shrink the prostate within a few hours or, or less. Right away. <laughs> it's very immediate. You just need correct training. <laughs> Thank you. Elon Musk is going to share this with him so that he'll know how to take care of his prostate. So there's a lot of us that are still here on Earth. Many men over the age of 50-something have enlarged prostates. Yes. So, Dr. Yu, please, for all the men out here with enlarged prostates, what can we do? Tell us specifically how we can do it. All right. It's always very challenging to just describe these methods because one of two things is very important. The frequency that you do it and the amplitude, the strength of your massage. And obviously, we're not talking about massaging the prostate. Remember, these are all areas that don't touch the problem area in the body. So massaging the lower ankles in certain points that are surround the lower ankles and medial side, the inner side part of the foot and also on the middle finger and on the pinky finger. These are specific areas for the prostate. Okay, so can you describe more clearly, or for those listening right now, maybe you could draw a diagram and we could put it upon the show notes page so that people could learn this and teach it to their patients so they don't have to go on all kinds of drugs or get surgery. Yeah, indeed. We have plans of just making a course for this as well, for the Twina, because it does take practice and you need to see, you need to be able to feel it because there is, this touches on another point, no pun intended, but when you do Twina on these points that are related to the area of injury, you're going to feel pain and pain is revealing. It's not damaging in this scenario. So that's a reframe of the mind that has to occur because a lot of our patients become hesitant or they're like, man, that was really painful. But yeah, I'm better now. But that was really, really painful. I don't know if I can go through that again. And that applies to the acupuncture too. It's not because we're intending it to be painful, but it's a direct reflection of the problem in the body, the pathology in the problem. However, as the pathology starts to resolve, the pain in that area also decreases. So it's like our barometer and it tells us if our treatments are working, if you're getting better. So that point on the lower ankle is going to be painful when you're touching it. And so that's actually an initial hesitation for anyone to want to help themselves because they're like, oh, it's causing me pain. So they need some guidance. So this is also a way of knowing, do I have the right point or not? Because if you've got the right point, you're going to get some feedback, especially with your hands, especially if you're using the twina. People are going to feel it. It's not pleasant. Like, oh, that's a nice little foot massage. It's like, no, this is like rolfing version of acupuncture. Indeed. Yeah, we're getting straight to it. And what's interesting is this similar areas that are for the prostate help women with UTI infections. That 
would make sense. And it's just as effective. One session, most UTI infections get resolved. If it's very complicated, then some herbs are necessary. Because we're talking about excess conditions, and excess conditions in the body clear faster than deficient, for obvious reasons. And that's why it's so effective. Okay, so you guys are going to send me a diagram of these points, right? Yes, no problem. Great. Folks, it'll be on the show notes page. Now, and I know that we're not here in person. It's always better if you can put your hands on somebody and feel something. But see if you can give us a little description of this amplitude and pressure and what this kind of twin-off feels like. First, uh, if you twin up by yourself or you twin up for teach patient, you need to understand the three kinds of pain. First is you got a problem, this pain. Second is a treatment pain. Third, three kinds of pain is a fixing the pain. Fixing the pain, if you're touching the skin, you're feeling a lot of pain. Treatment pain, you need a little bit of deep. Your patient can feel in the pain. If you have problem, for, for example, your lower back pain, this is real pain. Your headache, your shoulder pain, this is a, you got a problem. This is a kind of pain first. The patient can feel. Treatment pain, doctor or patient touch the specific point? No. If you long time touch the pain, this is a treatment pain. If you touch skin, you have a lot of pain. These are the sensitivities that are felt in the nervous system. And again, these are points that we're talking about that are not the area of injury. So these are all away from the body of injury, um, distal. So yeah, those three kind of categories of pain. Obviously, from the trauma itself, there's palpate. You know, there's other methods you... Chinese medicine, they're in Korean or Japanese styles, right? You can palpate and they teach like, okay, this is where the issue is on the channel and, and whatnot. So that's that kind of pain, right? It's that information. But then when you start pushing deeper, you have, while you're doing treatments and, and recovery, you have pain still felt, okay? And then because you're stimulating, this is exciting nerves. This is also rewiring nerves and whatnot. And you're going to have more sensitivity. So you actually just need to graze the surface of the skin and it's really sensitive. And then it just changes and goes away as the pathology is resolved, as the problem is resolved. So these are interesting concepts to, to wrap your head around. And these are the things we have to talk through our patients because it's just not understood. And you have to go through it to really understand it because it's a little obscure. We're a little bit lucky here in the United States because we have this idea, no pain, no gain. Yes. So from that point of view, that could help elicit the patient's cooperation and willingness to undergo some treatment that may not be pleasant in the short term, but is vastly helpful in the long term. Yes, but it doesn't mean you just have to grin and bear it. You know, no gain, no pain just with the understanding that it is not causing damage to you. Because there is no pain, no gain when you go to the dentist, but that hurts. You know, you're getting a shot in your gums or, you know, you're getting an injection into your leg for sciatica pain. That really, really hurts and it doesn't always resolve it. So it's just understanding that kind of mindset because, again, do no harm. We absolutely don't want to do any harm to our patients. We only want to help. Well, we are... Coming up on our, I can't believe this time has gone by so very, very quickly. Before we wind this down, 
I know we talked in the beginning about that this is a family lineage, and I wanted to get more into that. And so before we finish today, could Dr. Yu, could you tell us a little more about your family and where this came from? And if people would like to learn these methods, how do they get in touch with you? If people want to learning, connect us. I can public teaching. Maybe we use the FaceTime recording. Anyway, Mr. Yu does teach CEUs to mostly in the Chinese community because of his、uh, the language barrier. But we are also developing CEUs in English that I will be teaching. So we want to share this knowledge so that we can help more people, right? Because we're just two people right now, and there's thousands of acupuncturists and millions of patients that all need help. So that's one component. You know, there's lots of modalities of delivering that. So please just contact us. You know, send us an email. We'll put you on a list for you know when we start to launch things. However, he would like to know your family. My family in the Shandong Muping County is biggest family in Muping County. Also, is last name is Yu. My village called Shangzhuang Village is biggest. Yu, uh, last name is Yu. Yu family in the China. We have ten thousand over ten thousand people in the village. Last name everybody is Yu. It's biggest in the Ming Dynasty, Qing Dynasty. My family have lot the genetic by gen generation by generation is a famous doctor in China in my county. So how far back does your lineage go? When did your family? Begin to practice medicine. We have a record since the 14th century. Yeah. All right, over 500 years. Yes. So, like 20, 21 generations, as he's told me. And this is the region where the mountain where Confucianism was birthed and Taoism was birthed. And so there is some suspected connection with the original Taoist priests, who were the Taoist priests, the martial artists, and doctors, and it came from them. There's a particular Quanzhen Jiao or Quanzhen Dao is Daoist from my county. This is the name of the Taoist、uh, priest and doctor. There is no official record of like them passing on to the family, but there are some similar methods. One of which is kind of like one needle, one point、mm. theory, where obviously you're not using one needle, but every single needle is being used to target one specific area in the body for the treatment. And then one needle also treats several different problems at the same time. Yes, this is one of the beauties of Chinese medicine—the way that we can look at the body and we can put things together, get some incredible synergy with our treatments. Yeah, indeed. And Mister Yu, you have some cousins also who are like head of the Chinese herbal universities, and he has some extended families still that have studied the medicine. So you have this with your family. Yeah, my family is a big family. The lot of famous doctor, the Gansu Traditional Chinese Medicine University is my family around 1940 built this. Well, I really appreciate the two of you taking some time today to share your perspective, your methods. I am vastly encouraged. That there is a kind of tuena, there's a kind of acupressure that maybe I could learn that would help me 
to help my patients that I could teach them something. Because again, as I said at the beginning of this, especially in this pandemic time, I have tried using some acupressure, teaching people to use points for themselves to help themselves. And I was vastly unsuccessful with it. If I may interrupt, that's a really good thing you're bringing up. And I want the audience to know that what you're teaching your patients does work. It's then those points do work for what they do. They absolutely do. It's just the combinations need to be set and the pairing of them in order to guide the effectiveness of these points to the area you're trying to help. That's it. It's just a matter of a little bit of protocol adjustment and combinations and frequency. But those points really do what they're meant to do. Like you have shoulder pain and or whatnot. Or Before we go, give us one quick example of how you would use some paired points to get to a specific problem area. Maybe, I mean, shoulder pain is a great one. A lot of people have it. How would you approach that? If you have shoulder pain on the front side of your shoulder, mm -hmm. anterior side, you're going to be using a point that's along the index finger that is at the, the distal knuckle. So roughly what we would call large intestine three. Correct. If you have shoulder pain behind the shoulder posterior, you're just going to do the lateral side of that knuckle of the index finger. And you're going to massage that or you're going to needle it really. So it's really the other side of the knuckle. Correct. So it's like you're going over the knuckle. It's like going over the shoulder. And so just to help you understand very quickly, that's the mirror system, right? I think someone was using the term holograph for the microsystems. Very commonly used that term. Yes. So that's what it is. Correct. That's just one small part. Then there's the shoulder point on the ear. You want to combine that together. We use auricular acupressure every single treatment. It is, again, remember it's about mathematics adding up to a greater sum of response in the body. Compound interest. Yes, correct. Compound interest. Because if you only use just one point or a couple of points, the body can't hold on to that. So you need to help the body support. So that's why sometimes some individuals I've heard of certain techniques, they just don't last enough or they wear off quickly. So because there's just the missing component of making sure the body holds on to it, bringing enough chi and blood to the area. All right. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time today. I look forward to getting that diagram of the points for treating prostate issues so that our listeners Guaranteed. will be able to help their patients. Yeah. Thanks so much, gentlemen. Thank you as well, Michael. It's an honor and pleasure to speak with you today. In having this conversation with Dr. Ewan Anthony, I thought about my teacher in Taiwan who also came from a family of doctors. It's one thing learning something, and it's something else to grow up into it. It's curious to me how so much of the history of Chinese medicine it was not taught in schools, but rather learned through family and kinship relationships, which does not necessarily make it better, but I suspect it goes deeper in a way. And yet, our modern age with schools and the internet it all allows us to connect with practitioners from all over the world, and it gives us some unique opportunities to learn different perspectives and different methods. In the end, medicine is learned anew in each generation. The understanding has to be kindled in the mind of those who will one day be teaching it to others. 
It's an endless process of keeping a fresh mind, especially after gaining enough understanding and experience so that you can reliably make this stuff work. It's easy to be lured into a sense of comfort, and perhaps that is why teaching and seeing patients is so helpful, as it invites a fresh encounter and an opportunity to keep learning. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm -hmm.